Well, now, friends, as uh, you will no doubt know already, for some time now, we've been following a series of meetings on a Thursday evening to find out what kind of church God really wants us to be, how we can grow into the kind of church God wants us to be. We've been thinking about how he wants us to be a learning church, a worshipping church, a loving church, a praying church. That's what we're going to be thinking about this coming Thursday. And a, a witnessing church. So if the program on the nights we would normally devote to house groups has focused on the church as a whole, the fellowship as a whole, our Sunday morning series has focused on how we can grow into the kind of individual believers God wants us to be. Now, the trouble with sermon series is that they have to be interrupted, quite naturally, because other things are just as important, perhaps more important. Last Sunday, we were thinking about how we can pray for and connect with the persecuted church. And today is Remembrance Sunday. So what do we do about growing into the kind of believers God really wants us to be? Well, it seemed to me that I needed to find a theme which would dovetail the need to remember and the need to grow in faith. And I came up with the one word, freedom. Freedom. Freedom is a very, very precious gift. And if brave men and women hadn't laid down their lives in two world wars and the conflicts since, you and I wouldn't be sitting here in peace and freedom. And if the Lord Jesus Christ hadn't sacrificed himself on the cross and then smashed through death to live again, we wouldn't be able to inherit the wonderful possibility of living life as God intended it to live. At the end of this service, we're going to sing Stuart Townend's incomparable hymn. And it contains lines that really inspire me, that make, just tingle me all over. And as, I st as he stands in victory, sin's curse has lost its grip on me, for I am his and he is mine bought with the precious blood of Christ. Freedom. That's what we're thinking about this morning. But um, what kind of freedom is it? Well, turn with me, please, to page 1074 in the church Bibles, to uh, John chapter 8, and verses 31 and 32 particularly. To the Jews who believed in him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples, then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And when they heard that, they were gobsmacked, to coin a phrase. They were scandalized. They'd never been slaves to anyone. Verse 33. We are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone, how can you say that we shall be set free? Well, the answer is very simple. Because in spite of what they thought of themselves, they were indeed slaves. So how were they slaves? 
What had enslaved them? Or to put it another way, from what did they have to be set free? Let me take you back to the beginning of the chapter. Because something very remarkable had happened. You see, it was the Feast of Tabernacles. And during the Feast of Tabernacles, everyone was encouraged to build a kind of little shelter, a booth, sometimes called the Feast of Booths, a little shelter, temporary structure on their flat roofs. And they lived in this for a few nights, slept in it for a few nights to remember how their ancestors lived in the wilderness. Jerusalem was filled with pilgrims for the festival. The temple was thronged. Jesus was there teaching. The people were listening. And then all of a sudden, a group of religious leaders burst through and quite literally hurled a naked woman down on the floor in front of Jesus. Now, that may shock you, but that's what happened. And we know she was naked because she'd been taken in adultery in the very act and she was going to be stoned and people caught in the very act of adultery were stoned like that. And You know, as I was preparing this sermon and I heard on the world service of the BBC that that very thing had happened in Afghanistan a few days ago. A widow and her daughter had been torn from their home and stoned and shot for committing adultery. It happens today. It's terrible, isn't it? Well, now, the Pharisees thought they'd cornered Jesus. Because, you see, if he said, stone her, they'd say, what a cruel, heartless rabbi he is. Don't listen to him. If he said, don't stone her. They would say, you have no respect for the law. You're probably almost in favor of committing adultery. Now, at first Jesus said absolutely nothing. The Bible says he knelt down, or rather bent down, and fingered the dust at his feet with his fingers. We don't really know what he was doing. Maybe he was embarrassed. You know, sometimes when you're embarrassed, you sort of find something to fiddle with. Maybe he was angry that they were being so cruel and heartless. Then he straightened himself up and he said, okay, the one who has nothing to regret, the one who has never done anything which needs to be forgiven, that person can throw the first stone. And one by one, by one by one, they all melted away. Jesus, who was the only one who could really condemn her because he was the only one who fell into that category of sinlessness, refused to do so. Indeed, he told her to go and not to sin again. Now, one thing very clearly emerges from that story. Every person there had something to regret. They all felt guilty. Because they knew in their hearts, you see, that they were just as bad and maybe worse than the woman himself. Now, I've said it before and I'll say it again, constantly repeating myself, I'm afraid. It's, it's, it's a failing of the old, you know. 
There should be no such thing as a guilty Christian. No such thing as a guilty Christian. Because if your faith is in the Lord Jesus Christ, your sins have been forgiven. He's taken upon himself your sin. He's faced the punishment you should have suffered. You can be a new person, loved, restored, and forgiven. But we all have to cope with our old human nature, don't we? All the same. Even when you've killed it and nailed it to the cross, it still insists on coming back and trying to enslave you again. Now, some people think that being a Christian is about being the best sort of person you can, being as good as you possibly can, in an effort to persuade God to like you. That is absolute codswallop. It's about admitting that no matter how hard you try, you can't make yourself good and you don't have to anyway because love God loves you already. That is why he sent his son to save you and set you free. The problem is you can't enjoy freedom unless you understand what slavery means. Is there anyone here who is perfect? Please put your hand up. Well, you remember I told you before, didn't I, that someone asked that question in church and a man stood up at the back and said, I'm standing up on behalf of my wife's first husband. (laughs) Nobody's perfect. Of course we're not. Deep down, we all know that we need to be forgiven. But it's fatally easy to be self-righteous and deluded. There's a lovely story about a certain bishop who was very proud of being a bishop. And his mother was gravely ill. He got a message one day to say that she was near death. And so he hurried to her bedside, but unfortunately he was a few moments late. And he confided to a friend, Oh, I am so sorry that I wasn't in time to give her my blessing. And the friend confided to somebody else, Is it possible? Is it possible that he missed that it was he who needed her blessing? The reality is, you see, that we are all enslaved by our human nature. That nature that holds us back and makes us do the things we hate. If you're anything like me, you know what kind of person you really want to be. The trouble is that no matter how hard you try, you can't break free from the selfishness and sin that enslaves you. Well, I've got good news for you. There's someone who can set you free. And his name is Jesus Christ. Now, when Jesus told the people that if they followed his teaching, they would be set free, they were scandalized. They were descendants of Abraham. What did Jesus say next in verse 34? He said, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. See, that's the discovery we all have to make. I doubt whether we've got very many diamond smugglers or, or people smugglers or drug dealers in the congregation, but sin comes in more subtle forms, doesn't it? Like the Pharisee in the parable, it's very easy to congratulate ourselves that we're not like other people. We pay our taxes, just like the Pharisee and the publican. We pay our tithes. Of course we do. We honor our commitments. We're not like those feckless wasters who cheat and lie and steal. Oh, but what about the sins we do tolerate? Our anger, our unforgiving nature, and most subtle of all, our pride. 
pride is deadly, absolutely deadly, because you don't know it's there until it's almost overwhelmed you. And pride always get its, gets its comeuppance in the end. As someone once said, pride is the window cleaner who stepped back from the ladder to admire his work. And I love this. It can be so easily deflated. This is a letter written by Queen Elizabeth I to Dr. Richard Cox, the Bishop of Ely, in 1573. And it reads as follows. Proud prelate... You know what you were before I made you what you are. If you do not immediately comply with my request, I shall unfrock you by thunder. Only she didn't say by thunder. So what do we do to claim the freedom Jesus brings? Well, you see, we have to admit that we're slaves. And so often, that is the hardest part You can't help an addict until the addict admits that he's addicted. You can't break free from addiction. And we're all addicted to sin. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin, said Jesus. Until we admit that we are enslaved. But it's very difficult to admit. Of course it is. Particularly very difficult to um, persuade someone else of that fact. The other day... I had a rather unusual conversation on the train while coming home from a meeting in London. I'd taken a Bible with me, and it was open on the table in front of me, and just as the train moved off, two men got on and asked if they could sit one opposite me, one beside me. Well, of course, I readily agreed. Here was my opportunity to share the gospel. And I suppose in a way it was. They'd both been at a a football match that afternoon. It was two weeks ago when the Arsenal beat Chelsea. Don't tell Josh, just just feel sorry for him. When the Arsenal beat Chelsea five goals to three. They obviously were Chelsea supporters. They were very disconsolate. But they obviously intended to find consolation because between us were seven of an eight-can pack of lager, which they placed next to the Bible. Now, keeping my own allegiance to uh, a certain football team quiet, I sympathized with Chelsea's loss, and they seemed very pleased. They even offered me a can of lager, but I refused. The younger man was, was partly drunk, and when he saw the Bible, he wanted to know everything about me. Now, this was my chance. Golden opportunity, I thought. But before I could answer him, he began to tell me everything about himself. Money was the center of his life. You're born, you die, and in the middle you're going to make money. That's what life is all about, he said. Now, I tried to respond, but to no avail. He was utterly convinced that money is the only thing that matters, the only thing that will bring him happiness. Nothing I could say would persuade him otherwise. He was a bit like my father-in-law sometimes. My mother-in-law used to say, he won't be consuaded nor observised. <laughs> Indeed, the, uh, the more I tried to persuade him, the more aggressive he became, so I just sat and listened. Afterwards, just as he was getting off the train, he looked at me and he said, you're very polite, aren't you? So I said, well, I try to be, and I hope he'll go away with the impression that 
you know, people who have Bibles on trains. They're very polite and nice and, and gentle and listen. Maybe the Holy Spirit will speak to him just through my attitude. Please, God, he will. Now, I know that he was at least partly drunk. He was going to get a great deal drunker that evening because seven of the eight cans of lager were still unopened. But he was obviously a man of strong opinions. And my heart went out to him because I have never encountered anyone who was so clearly a slave. But it would literally have been more than my life was worth to get him to admit it. You see, you can only appreciate freedom when you understand what slavery is all about. So are there things in your life which are constantly defeating you? Temptations that you can't seem to resist? Are you like St. Paul, who said he felt like a, a man chained to a dead body because he was constantly failing to do the good things he longed to do and always doing the things he hated? Let's be honest. You want to be a better person, don't you? Do you want to be a better person? Well, I've got some disappointing news for you. There is no one who can make you a better person. Not even Jesus. Jesus wants to make you a new person. And that is something totally different and much, much, much more wonderful. That's what being a Christian is all about. That is why he said you've got to be born again. You've got to have a new nature. And you can have a new nature. You can claim it. You see this jacket here. I inherited it from someone else. I didn't buy it. I inherited it. And when I inherited it, it was too small for me. And so I cut the button off there, and I tried to move it over to give me just a little more wriggle room. The technical term for that is stalking. At least it is in our house. When Jenny sees needle and thread in my bedroom, she says, oh, you've been stalking again. Well, now, it fits me now. I can show you. I've got my diary. I've got the microphone. I've got my glasses. There. Look at that. Perfect. I couldn't do it up before. Now I can. I've got a new jacket. I didn't pay anything for it. It was given me. And you don't have to pay anything for your new nature. Oh, you can't wear it and possess it unless you understand that sin enslaves you. But if you do understand that, you can have that new nature the new nature that only Christ can supply. They could have overruled him, but the Allied commanders allowed General de Gaulle and the Free French 
to be the first Allied soldiers to liberate Paris in the Second World War. No wonder the city went wild. Here was their hero bringing them freedom. Hundreds of thousands had paid with their lives to win that freedom, just as hundreds of thousands gave their lives to preserve ours. And we must never forget that. Freedom is a very precious gift. You see, growing in faith is about learning to value freedom. Not just the freedom to fly a flag or honor a country, but the freedom to live life as God intended, unrestrained by selfishness and sin. The main aim of our spiritual enemy, friends, is to deny it to us, to convince us that we are his slaves and we've got to stay his slaves. Well, you can stay a slave if you want to be a slave. You can let him rule you so that you obey his every destructive command, so that as you grow older, the more bitter regrets you have, or you can claim your freedom in Christ. Stuart Townend said it best, and in a moment we shall sing his words. And as he stands in victory, sin's curse has lost its grip on me, for I'm his, and he's mine, bought with the precious blood of Christ. Amen.